very simple outline before you this morning. Hear the words of Jesus and do the words of Jesus. Let's pray. We'll then get our bearings and begin working through the text together this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together in your name. We thank you that in Christ, we have taken your name onto ourselves as we have identified with him in baptism, recognizing that his death counts as our death. His perfect life counts as our life. And so we who were once dead in sins now walk in the newness of life, all because of your grace and your mercy and your kindness. Lord, we we thank you for this great work you have done in us. We pray that you would help us out of gratitude, out of love for you, out of a desire to please you, that you would help us to become and practice what you've declared us in Christ, which is holy. We are your holy people. We pray that you would make us holy practically as we seek to not just trust Jesus, but to obey his words. We pray that you would help us to trust and obey this morning because there is no other way to be happy in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for one last and final time, we are going to get our bearings here in the book of Matthew before we return to the book of Kings. And I want to remind you, so that you can finally pass that Sunday school test next week, that Jesus resolves to do two things in the Sermon on the Mount. He is calling us to himself and to holiness, right? He's calling us to himself as the Messiah King the one who can save his people, everyone who believes, from their sins. That's what Matthew wants us to see, that Jesus is the king who delivers his people from sin and death. His whole gospel is written to the end of accomplishing that goal of causing you to believe in and submit to the lordship of Christ Jesus. Remember, he opens up by telling us that Jesus has the right credentials to be king. He comes from the right family. He's got the right pedigree. He fulfills the right prophecies. He even has the right endorsements. At the end of chapter 3, we find God the Father saying to Jesus, Behold, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And Matthew shows us Jesus' credentials, and, and he is bringing us into contact with the authority of the King in the Sermon on the Mount, which we have been studying together. And Jesus calls us to himself by showing us that we cannot make ourselves right with God. Remember the big question in the Sermon on the Mount is, who can get into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus tells us, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And the scribes and the Pharisees at the time are, uh, we said, the goats of religion, Uh, They are the the Tiger Woods of religion, the Michael Jordan of religion. And so when Jesus says, you got to be better than the best to get into the kingdom of heaven, everyone's response is to be afraid. Uh, We're to hear his words and go, if the best of the best of us can't get in, what chance do we have? That's exactly what Jesus wants to do. 
he wants us to recognize we can't earn our way into heaven. He's calling us to trust in himself because the way into heaven is to depend not on our own righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness. That's why the key to the Sermon on the Mount comes to us in verse 3 of chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is how we can be made right with God. It is the only way. We depend not on ourselves, on our good works, or our good looks. We depend only on Jesus. We come to him as those who are spiritually bankrupt. Nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to his cross we cling. We say, God, save me. It's the poor in spirit who enter into the kingdom, those who depend on Jesus. But that's not all Jesus wants to accomplish in this sermon. He wants to call us to live holy lives. And he says that you enter into the kingdom of heaven by depending on me, and once you're in, you're going to begin to live like kingdom citizens. These characteristics that I'm describing to you here, this, this perfect righteousness that you're going to hear about over and over again, you're to strive to live that way. So you're to try and love your neighbor as yourself. You're to try to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You are to pursue godliness. And he is continuing this theme, calling us to himself and to holiness in the conclusion of his sermon. He is wrapping up the whole Sermon on the Mount with four illustrations. We've said there are four pictorial pairs. You can be reminded of them there in your outline. We're only dealing with the bolded one this morning, but you can see Jesus says, ultimately, there are two ways to live. There are two ways to respond to who I am. There's the way of the wise man and the way of the foolish man. Really, all four illustrations sort of give us Psalm 1, right? There are two choices here. We can enter by the narrow gate, that is, we depend on Jesus and walk the narrow way, we follow Jesus and enjoy peace with God, or we can walk the wide way that leads to destruction. We can bear good fruit that demonstrates Christ has changed us, or we can bear false fruit, which is evidence of a false confession. We come to this last picture where Jesus gives us two houses. The houses each represent a life, a life built on one foundation or another. And he is calling us to not go the way of the foolish man, but the way of the wise man. He's calling us to trust in him and to obey him. With that, we come to verse 24 of Matthew chapter 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man 
who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Don't miss Jesus' claim to deity here. It's sort of subtle, but not so subtle. If you look back up in verse 21, and you put what's there together with verse 24, it's very easy to see what Jesus is doing. Do you see it? Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So not everybody that says, hey, Jesus, you're my God, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, who's the one that enters? It's the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And now you look here in verse 24, and Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. See what Jesus is doing is he's making his words coterminous with the will of the Father. To do Jesus' words is to do the will of the Father. Jesus is speaking authoritatively. He even has himself as the judge back in verse 21, a place that only God should be. That's why when the people who hear Jesus respond to him as they do in verses 28 and 29, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. It was a traditional custom. If you taught, you would say, so-and-so says this, and so-and-so says that, and now here is the lesson. And Jesus doesn't say that. He says, I say to you. He speaks with the voice of God. He demands obedience. He demands that those who hear his words would be changed by his words, would come to him and obey him. And he says, if you don't listen to my words, there is death and destruction for you. Look back in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, because the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Again, he tells us, verse 19, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and cast into the fire. Verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We see here in verse 27, the one who doesn't build on the rock, doesn't do his words, well, their house falls. Great is the fall of it. Jesus is calling for a decision. We cannot just hear his words and let them go in one ear and out the other. He wants us to deal with his person. Now, so there are Two ways to hear Jesus in this parable. Wise hearing and foolish hearing. Wise hearing is hearing with faith. It's hearing God's word, hearing the word of Jesus, and being changed by it. And that's what happens when we really hear the word of God, is that it elicits change in us. But Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. You see, there is a way to hear God's word, but not hear it. 
And there is a way to really hear it. And we really hear God's word when we're changed by it. So for, so for example, similar, similar thing here. Um, let's say, Chelsea says to me, uh, Justin, or Dragon, as you guys know she calls me, will you change the baby's diaper? And I, I hear her, but I sit there and I continue uh, reading my book or watching football or whatever it is I'm doing at the time. She's going to ask me, because of my really long track record of sacrificial and loving service to my family, whimsical exaggeration, but she, she's going to say to me if I don't respond, did you even hear me? Because her expectation is, is that her speech would cause me to act. Her words would cause me to, to change what I'm doing. And begin, you know, helping out around here a little bit. See, see, likewise, Jesus' words, if we really hear them, are going to change us. They're going to have an impact. Jesus wants us to hear him wisely, to be changed by his word. Now, the other way of hearing, of course, is a foolish hearing. That is, hearing without faith. There are a few, few different ways you can do this. One of them is just apathetic hearing. You, know, you go, yeah, I'll hear like a sermon like this or God's word, and okay, cool. Live and let live, whatever. I don't really care. Apathetic hearer hears God's word and isn't changed. They are unchanged. Another way to hear foolishly is you know what? I really love the Word of God. I love to hear good preaching. You know, it's nothing better on a Sunday than a good sermon. It's possible to enjoy hearing God's Word preached, but not be changed by it. I mean, King Herod, you remember King Herod? He loved a good sermon. Remember, John the Baptist is thrown into prison by Herod for preaching the Word of Christ. Specifically, he says, Herod, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife as your own. Like, sexually promiscuous relationship, that's not great. And so Herod puts him in prison. But listen, listen to what Mark says in Mark chapter 6 and verse 18. John was in prison because John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias, that's the gal that's with Herod, had a grudge against him and wanted him put to death. But she could not. Why? Verse 20. Because Herod feared John, knowing that John was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When Herod heard John, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Herod hears John gladly, but you guys know how that story ends, right? Herod has that birthday party, Herodias, Herodias' daughter. Someone dances for him, young gal. He likes him. He's like, anything you can have. And she's like, well, I want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. And so though he hears John gladly, listens to him preach gladly, ultimately he cuts off John's head to save face before his guests. Wonder, do you hear God's word this way? I'm happy to hear the word of God. Jesus is a really good teacher. 
but you're not changed by the word. You hear like Herod. Third way to hear the words of Jesus is just full-on, hateful, vehement rejection. And this is how the Pharisees and other religious leaders heard the words of Jesus. They understood well what it meant if Jesus' words were true. It meant their loss of credibility, their loss of political clout. Indeed, they were jealous that people were turning to cry. It is no accident that at the end of Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about a final judgment where he separates sheep from goats. And the goats go on to destruction. But right after that in Matthew 26, we're sort of taken into this back room where the religious leaders begin to talk about how they can kill Jesus. They understand that if his words are true, it means they have to change everything about their lives but they like their lives. They are not willing to change. That's the position of some of us. Realize that Jesus calls us to stop ruling over ourselves and to start living in obedience to his word. We say, no, I love my sin. I love living life my way. I don't want to live it your way. And so we vehemently reject him. Friend, ask yourself this morning, how am I hearing the words of God? How do I listen to the Bible? Is it with faith? Without it? Going on, Christian, pray that God would give you faith to believe. Pray that God would give you ears to hear eyes to see, and a heart that would understand. Pray that he would make you good soil. Remember when Jesus is talking about how we can hear and respond to his word, he he gives that parable of the soils. Very famous. Let me read it to you once more this morning. Matthew chapter 13. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of the soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears... Let him hear. And Jesus explains the whole thing a few verses later. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. Rather, he endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, 
and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Friend, pray that God would give you ears to hear, that he would make your heart the good soil in which his word would grow and have full effect. Apart from a miraculous work of his grace, you cannot rightly hear his word. You need his grace to hear and to receive his words. We are to hear the words of Jesus with faith. And we are to do the words of Jesus. Verse 24 again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. This is a pretty easy connection, right? Jesus is saying, if we hear his words, then that should result in our doing of his words. Really simple, logical connection between the two parts of the verse. Hear his words, if we've really heard them, we're going to be changed, and then we are going to do his words. And then he's going to make a comparison, right? He's going to say, when you do this, you're like a wise person who builds his house on the foundation of the rock. What he's saying is, is, when you obey me and listen to me, You are building your house on me and on my words. I am the foundation of your life. So when we ask that question, well, who is or what is this rock that we are to build on? The answer is Jesus' person and his words. I say that for a few reasons. First, the obvious connection there in verse 24 between doing the words of Jesus and the foundation Secondly, because Jesus' words cannot be divided from Jesus' person. There is no gap between what Jesus says and who Jesus is. Indeed, Jesus is the Word made flesh. Thirdly, the Bible uses the imagery of a rock over and over again as a symbol for God himself. Let me read you a handful of those references. Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. 1 Samuel 2.2. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Psalm 18, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. Psalm 62, verses 5 through 7, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken on God 
rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. The rock that we are being called to build our lives on is Jesus' person and his words. And if that's not apparent here, but becomes, I think, even more apparent throughout the rest of the New Testament, and particularly when we get to Matthew 16. So if we're, we're tossing around who or what is this rock I should build my life on, Peter tells us when he makes that great confession in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 15, and Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? Peter replied, you are the Christ, the King, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. You see the wordplay in Greek. I usually don't do that, but it's, it's important to help us see. Petros, Petra, a little wordplay, both mean rock, bedrock. So, so maybe in English we could go, uh, I tell you, you are rocky, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, of course, Peter plays a really big role in the early church. Uh, but Jesus is not, he's not setting up a papacy here. He's not making Peter the, the sole person that the church is built upon. I mean, in the next verse, he, he calls Peter Satan, so it wouldn't be a great, great start there. But what he means is, Peter in his role as confessor is where he will build his church. But what does Jesus build his church on? The fact that he is the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. That's the foundation that the church is built on. That's why when Jesus gives that great commission, he says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. You see, Jesus' person and his words and his works are the foundation upon which the whole church is built. They are the foundation upon which our lives are to be built. So when we are trying to think about what's the purpose of my life, well, it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. How do I do that? By trusting in Christ and obeying his words, by coming to Jesus and pursuing holiness. That's why Jesus in this sermon calls us to himself and to holiness. We are to build our lives on the rock. How? How? Well, again, this falls under that simple statement. We build our lives on the rock by doing the words of Jesus. By obeying them. Matthew 4, verse 17 Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 11, verse 25. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and of earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except by the Father. 
and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How do we begin to build on the rock? Well, we do the words of Jesus. We repent. We come to him in faith. We depend on him alone to give us rest and peace with God. I mean, all, all of us, apart from Christ, are restless. We are, you know, it's, it's a little cliche at this moment, but we are looking to fill this hole in our lives that only God can. And so we, we restlessly try to prove our value and our worth by our career or our family or by our self-expression. We try to, to build the meaning of our lives in all, all these different places, and, and, and we just, it's never enough. We get on that treadmill of, of showing everyone that really, you know, we, we should be loved. I mean, that's what we want. We want to be, be known and to be loved. And we never can quite fill that desire apart from Christ. He says, to turn from your sins, turn from these other arenas where you've tried to, to find purpose and meaning for your life, and come to me and find rest. You were made in the image of God. You were made to worship him. And the reason you are restless is because you are in rebellion against him. That's true. All of us, apart from God's grace, are in that category of hateful rejection. We were made to worship God, and instead, we worship ourselves and stuff. We refuse him. Friends, our, our lives, our decisions to say, no God, I'm going to, to rule my life. I don't need your word. I'm good. That earns for us hell. It earns us God's wrath. To tell God, you know, Frank Sinatra, is it Frank Sinatra? I'm going to do it my way, I think. Because I'm, I'm going to, I did it my way. To tell God, I'm going to do it my way instead of your way. I mean, imagine standing before a king and saying, I'm not going to listen to your word. I'm going to do what I want. The penalty for that is death. And it is death stretched out across eternity under the right wrath of God. Jesus bids us to come to him and find peace with God and rest for our souls. He can only make that offer because he went to the cross and writhed in agony beneath the full weight of God's righteous judgment against sin. 
the sins of his people, the sins of all who had trusted him. He was crushed beneath that weight and went into death so that we don't have to. So that those of us who trust him can enjoy heaven and peace and rest. I mean, that's the gospel. Jesus lives the life we should have lived, dies the death we should have died, and rises from the dead to prove his person and his power. When we trust in him, his life becomes our life. His death becomes our death. Our future becomes his future. He is raised bodily from the dead. And he is going to return to make all things new, to end evil finally, to bring his people into his celestial city forever. It is good news. My, my non-Christian friend, I implore you to put your faith in Christ. Come and find rest. Turn from your sin. Be baptized. Learn to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Build your house on the rock. One of the ways we build on the rock is by coming to Jesus in faith. We do what he says in coming to him, and we also do what he says by way of our obedience to his word. You'll notice in, in Matthew 11, where we just read from, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And he also says, Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke. He says, Don't come from me and then do whatever you want. If you're really going to come to me, you're going to take on this easy yoke. You're going to obey my words. Of John 14, 15, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you will obey me. And in 1 John 5, we love to obey the commands of God. His commandments are not burdensome. It's an easy yoke. So we build our lives on the rock by coming to Jesus and by obeying him, by pursuing holiness. Why? Why build on the rock rather than the sand? Because storms come. Verse 25. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. The rock is the only strong foundation. Building your life on Jesus is the only way that you will make it through life and through God's final judgment. There are the storms of life, suffering and hardship. Rain will pound on the roof of your life. Winds will blow and beat on the house of your life. There will be overwhelming sorrow. And yet, the sure foundation of the rock, well, it will ensure that you make it through. Love what one commentator has said. We're not told that life built on the foundation of Jesus' words and person will be spared rains, floods, or winds, as though Jesus' teaching were a talisman against trouble. 
No, obedience to Jesus is not so much protection from troubles as protection in them. Just as the rock under a house does not shield from storms, but supports during storms. That's good. We'll face trouble in this world, but Christ, the rock of our salvation, our foundation, will see us through those difficulties. Additionally, and I think more eminently in this passage, Jesus has in mind that final storm of God's judgment. And he's saying, the only way that you can endure through life, the only way that you can know that you'll pass through the judgment of God into eternal life is if your house is built on the rock, is if you are trusting in me, you're devoted to serving me as your king. But the words of the old hymn, his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Why not build on a sandy foundation? Because the sandy foundation leads to destruction. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. There are all kinds of sandy foundations we build our lives on. Friends, building your life on feeling good about yourself is building on sand. Building your life on your sexuality is building on sand. Building your life on a relative morality is building on sand. Building your life on your social status or your social media is building on sand. Building your life on financial success is building on sand. Building your life on your politics is building on sand. Building the meaning of your life on anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ and his words is building on sand and its end is destruction. Yet Jesus has one particularly sandy foundation in mind here. Seen for throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he sort of had uh, the sights set on the Pharisees and the religious leaders who have all the trappings of religion and they look like they are in obedience to God. And yet on the inside, they are rotten devoted to themselves, about their own glory. You see, the sandy foundation of self-righteousness gives rise to hypocrisy houses. They look like one thing on the outside, really sturdy. But when God's judgment comes, they will be revealed for what they are. Houses built on sand. 
Where is your life built? Are you sort of a religious person? You like Jesus, you guess. Come to church at Christmas and, and Easter. And maybe this Sunday. But on the inside, your life, your house is built on sand. Friend, hear Jesus' warning here. A storm is coming. Suffering will come in this life. And one final storm is coming. The storm of God's judgment. And the only way to find safety from it is to build your life on Christ, the solid rock. It might come as a surprise to you, but Jesus ends this, his most famous sermon, on this note of judgment. He has no problem with telling us about the realities of hell, which he uses various images and metaphors to describe throughout the Bible. Like here we have being cast into fire, being told to depart from him, the destruction of a house. Elsewhere we have uh, that it's a place of outer darkness. And you're like, how does fire and darkness work together? Right? And the idea here is that the reality of hell and God's judgment is far worse than the images used to describe it. Jesus has no problem with warning us out of the city of destruction in which we live and through the wicked gate along the way and into the celestial city. He has no problem with it. His whole sermon ends on this note. It's like a fire alarm is going off. Or maybe, uh, you know, some of you live on this golf course back here. You've heard the, the storm sirens, I call them. And so if you're out on the golf course, which is pretty big, right? They, they blare. And it's a really annoying sound. <laughs> Only way longer than that. And the idea is, you hear this, and you go, oh, a storm is coming, lightning is in the area, and therefore I need to get in the clubhouse where I can be safe. Some of the more foolish among, maybe you, I don't know, our golfers, uh, they, they'll hear the, the storm sirens, they'll see the dark sky, and they'll stand there in the middle of the fairway clutching a metal club. It's not smart. The percentages aren't great. There's a potential danger to them that the siren is warning them against. Friends, Jesus is warning us here of the storm of God's judgment. It is not a potential danger. If you stay out in the field, in the fairway, clutching your sin and your old life, you will be struck by the wrath of God. You must flee to the safety that's only found in Christ. The only way out of the storm of God's wrath is by trusting the one who went into the storm of his wrath on the cross on Calvary's hill. This is what Jesus does on the cross. He takes the judgment day of his people and he moves it from the future all the way back to Good Friday. That's what Jesus has done. He takes the wrath of God in place of his people. And here he's warning all who will hear him, there's a storm coming. Come to me, 
Find rest for your souls. Where is your house built? Where is your life built? Oh, friends, hear and do the words of Jesus. Sing that song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Friends, get off the sand this morning. Build your house on the rock. Your eternal destiny is all about foundation, foundation, foundation. Where are you building? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Pray that we would be changed by it. That we would not be apathetic hearers or just hearers who enjoy a good sermon or those who hear your word and vehemently reject it. We, we pray that you would make us good soil. That we would be changed by your word. Pray that we wouldn't dismiss Jesus' warnings of judgment as fairy tale or Someone just trying to scare us. Some hell and brimstone fire preacher. Pray that you would help us to see them for what they are. True. Pray that you would cause us to flee to Christ. To flee from our sins. Indeed, in Christ alone will we have peace with you and life abundant. We were made to worship you, Father, and we thank you that we can come to you through Jesus, your Son, rather than having to endure the wrath we have earned. Your grace is scandalous. In Christ, you give to us the opposite of what we deserve. We thank you and we praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.